Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Football fans, welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, the home of P6 football at SB Nation's Underdog Dynasty. And this is another round where we call it Joe Talk, and that is me, Joe Serpico. You can find me on Twitter, at Joe Serp. On the other side of the mic is Joe Broback, who you can find at Joe Broback. What's going on, dog? Oh, not much, man. Feels like, you know, the later the season goes on, the more we have to talk about. That is true, my friend. We are nixing the games that we usually play this week because there was plenty to talk about last week. Um, basis of the show is we'll talk about the action from last week. We'll look ahead to next week. But what we really want to get it started with, do um, you want to start with the UCF talk or you want to start with the news out of Arkansas? Uh, let's start with Arkansas, and then we can dive into the Knights. All right. So, not that this is a uh, an Arkansas podcast, but Chad Morris is out at Arkansas, in case you have forgotten. That is the former SMU coach. He's gone after a 4-18 record and a zero wins in the SEC. Actually went 0-14. Now, I know we talked about it, obviously, and it really doesn't come as a surprise to us that this move finally happened, but, you know, shocked us that Morris even got this job, considering what his record was at SMU. I mean, we're talking about a guy that went 14-22 and 22 at SMU. It's not like he was busting doors down, kind of like some of the other coaches that are in the conference that we'll talk about in a second that are being brought up for a bunch of other gigs. But, yeah, it just kind of blew my mind. Because if you look at Chad Morris in in the American, I mean, yeah, those SMU teams got better every year. He went from two and ten to five and seven and seven and five. But I mean, seven and five, it, you don't see that often. A G five coach, excuse me, a P six coach, move up only after your best season is a seven win season. Usually, you see those after you know, some team just runs away with the conference with a ten win season. And, you know, again, doesn't shock me that Morris is out at Arkansas. And, I mean, honestly, Arkansas is <laughs> – Arkansas has got a whole bunch of problems outside of Chad Morris. I, I, they're going to be in a world of hurt for a while down there. Well, and I, it, I was thinking about there's always – you know, when someone gets hired, there's always two sides to – you have the one side who says this is a good hire, and then you have the other side that doesn't like the hire at all. And with Chad Morris, it felt like there really wasn't any way that was super enthusiastic about his him coming to Arkansas. So it's not not to, not to cut you off, but he was not their first choice, right? Like I don't know who else was in the running, but there was no way he was the first choice. No, especially after what you just said, this you know the seven win season, and that's a team that had. It, a loaded offense and then granted their defense was far from that but it's just it just seemed like it was a reach and you know they they seemed like they were kind of desperate for somebody and they you know i don't i don't believe that was their first choice i mean if your first choice is a coach that wins seven games and underachieves then you got it like you said you got there's more issues there so if they can get it right this time, great. But it's it's not a surprise to see this happen. And honestly, I think even when you and I talked about it, we 
we weren't too we weren't expecting much from Chad Morris just because we didn't really get much from him. You know, he he didn't he turned things around from a losing, you know, they had a losing record and then he brought them to seven wins and whatnot, but with the amount of talent they had on the offensive side of the ball that year, they they should have won more than seven games. My question to you is, do we have to credit Chad Morris with some of Sonny Dyke's success now? I think some. If you look at the the biggest thing, though, is that Shane Shane Bouchelle is all Sonny Dyke. And Shane's been the biggest difference between what this team probably would have been without him, which is still a really good team, but probably not... To the extent that they are, they ha- success they're having now. So yeah, you could say that Chad had something to do with that because he recruited most of those kids. You know, like James Prochet's his guy, uh, Xavier Jones. Those kind of guys are he had influence over them. So you you'd have to give him some credit. But I don't I don't know. I think the weird thing is when you come down, you think if if Chad Morris was still at SMU, would he be having this type of success? And that's what I don't know. So I would probably lean towards he has something to do with it, but it has more to do with Sonny Dykes is able to do with that talent. Yeah, obviously, uh, Bruchelle was was a Dykes move, but yeah, no arguments. The rest of the team, for the most part, is, you know, Morris recruited most of them, I would think. But I guess at this point, so... Obviously, Arkansas is in the mix for a new coach, and you know, a name that you're going to hear not not just for this Arkansas gig, but probably for just about every opening in college football come the end of the season is Memphis coach and you know, I guess uh, two coaches really. And Mike Norvell really sticks out, but I personally don't think he is going anywhere. Everything he said on game day, I kind of believed him. I don't know, maybe I'm just like drinking the Kool-Aid or whatnot. But I don't see many potential jobs that are opening that really entice him, especially this Arkansas job. I don't think really entices him at all. And then the other one would be, um, oh, my God, I have his first name in my head right now, Luke Fickle up there in uh, Cincinnati would be another potential candidate to potentially be on the move in the American yeah, I don't know. Well, you we talked about this going into last year with Fickle that he won 11 games, and we thought maybe he'd be a name that would come up. But I think 80s were more we're looking for him to have more continued success, and we've seen that this year because they're surprising us a little bit. So that's definitely a name to keep an eye on. And the thing with with Norvell is we've we've seen this before. You know, he's he's brought Memphis to a new level after Justin Fuente left, and his name continues to come up in these coaching searches, and he's continued to say, hey, I'm staying here. I like what I have. My, I have a good thing going, and he continues to win football games. But every, with with that continued success every single year, as long as they're having a good year, he's he's going to be brought up in these conversations, and it's just a matter of, getting to the next season unfortunately there's we've heard coaches say hey i'm not going anywhere and then an offer comes up that they can't refuse and they're gone and so it's one of those you just wait until the next year and 
if if you get to the beginning of the season, you're you're in good shape, and if if he finds a job that he likes better, then he's gonna take it. And honestly, I hope he doesn't go to Arkansas because he's done too well at Memphis to just take a job like that. So I think he's gonna wait for a better offer if he does leave. But we've seen in the past that he's willing to stay. Yeah, I don't think Arkansas is that better job. And honestly, based on what the college football landscape has been this year, there isn't really that that marquee job unless he wants that Florida State job, but I don't really think he wants that job. Um, there's really nothing out there. So I think both guys, honestly, staying pat is their, their best move. Well, and why would you want to go to Florida State when they just basically said, hey, you have one and a half years to win football games? Mm-hmm. Why would anybody want to go in that situation? Maybe and like Arkansas basically did the same. Right. Well, yeah, in Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas is almost worse because they just don't have they just don't have the talent of those other teams. Like, And they're, they're playing in the SEC West. What do you expect? Exactly. Yep, they got Bama and LSU every year. They're just... Like, Darren McFadden and Felix Jones aren't walking in through the door anytime soon. Nope. Not Even though anytime. Rakeem Boyd is really good. Now, let's go a little bit on the other side of that. You know, we just praise some of the better coaches. Let's talk about some coaches in the conference that maybe could be on the way out. And I think it all gets started with the debacle that's going on in South Florida. I mean, my Temple Owls, you know, beat them. It seems like it was so long ago. It was literally a week ago, but it literally seems like it was like two weeks ago already. But there's a lot of people in South Florida calling for Charlie Strong's head. But the financial situation kind of has US, or USF strapped a little bit. So, Joe, what's it going to be? Is Charlie Strong going to make it for another season or not? They'll just look at – if you just look at the – trajectory of this program and where they're going right now it's just not good even that first year that 10 and 2 team or 10th whatever they went just felt more like an overrated team they didn't seem like they were really that good they were struggling with weaker competition early in the season and it just seems like they had an easier schedule so it's just it's going the wrong way and it just comes down to money, as most everything does. And it's, Charlie Strong's just not proving that things are going to work out. And I don't even know, like, they're going to be four and eight by the end of the season. So it's, I, I don't, I need a really good reason to con, to convince me that you had year one as ten ten wins, and then year three we're down to four. Like, that's obviously not headed in the right direction. And I don't have the recruiting rankings in front of me, but I'm, from what I vaguely remember, it's not like he's you know recruiting the best of the best, at least not in this conference. And you would kind of expected that from a name like Charlie Strong. You know, he had, came from Texas, so you would think he would be able to pull some kind of talent, especially in that, you know, the, the Florida area down there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, it really has not translated. They really have not found a guy to replace Quentin Flowers. I mean, they, they don't just come through the door every day, obviously, but, you know, the quarterback play has not been consistent since he's been gone. The off, I mean, the offense in general, I guess you can say, you know, last year they were calling for uh, offensive coordinator's head. This year, I don't think they're doing it as much. Maybe I'm just not paying attention to it, honestly. 
just because of how down they have been this year. But offensively, this, I think this year they're even worse offensively. Well, and what was the excuse last 14 year? 14 or less. How many games this year? Uh, I think uh, it's four or five. Yeah, that's just, you know, just that's not, not what good. we expected from, you know, just a couple of years ago, we expected USF to be this high-flying offense to keep up with, say, UCF or a Memphis. And it is, I mean, they are a Tulsa offense right now. Yeah, it's... No offense to Tulsa. Right. Well, and the thing was, last year, we all we heard from USF fans was, oh, we just need to get rid of our O coordinator and everything will be fine. And it's like, well, okay, now he's gone and you're doing the exact same stuff. So... But worse. Right. So it's it's like, well, what? And sure, injuries are playing a, a role in that. But even when those guys are healthy, they're not playing to a level that's going to make them competitive for a, in the division and certainly not for a conference title. No. I mean, they're just struggling. It, like you said, 4-8 and eight is totally in the cards for – I mean, they're – Upcoming schedule. Uh, did I write it down? No, I did not write it down. But I know they got Cincy this week. I believe it's Memphis after that, and then UCF. Well, you're going through murderous row right now. Yeah, it's and not. It's not. And good. they're not going to win any of those. They're not going to win any of those games. There's no, no chance. Zero. No. Uh, yeah. There's just. It's. I don't know. All right, and I guess we can kind of tie this into two parts here. So the other coach that kind of maybe helped himself get off the hot seat a little bit, and that is Philip Montgomery with that huge win over UCF the other night. So I guess we can kind of make this you know a little bit of a two-part question because I know you want to talk about UCF. So Montgomery, you know, we t- I think it was literally just last week we were actually talking about whether – uh, he was going to keep his job after this season. Does one game change anything? Does a big win over UCF change this? Well, that's the it's, that's the thing I don't really know because it, you lose so many of these close games, and now you finally get on the right side of one, and it's against a, a program like UCF. It's it's tough to say, and it's not. I don't know. It just feels it feels like. People aren't mad that he's not winning. They're just kind of like, eh, he's not, he's not winning games. So it's, it's not like there's an outrage, like the in South Florida that we just talked about. You know, there's not people calling, as many people I should say, calling for him to be fired. But if you if you watch the the game on whenever that was that was that a Friday game this week? Yes. It, there was just nobody in the stadium, and that's even for oh, UCF. Oh, nobody! Yeah, it was, was so quiet, and it's it's just I I don't know. One win I don't think is enough because if they lose out, then it's like the yeah that that I feel like it's it's a temporary pause on the hot seat conversation, but he's still got to win more games. Yeah, it's it's tough because you finally got on the right side of one of these closest games, and yeah, it's against that UCF team that's you know been dominating the league for the past two years. But yeah, to say that just one does that springboard you back off of, and I agree with what you said about you know there's not really the chatter in Tulsa as there is in Tampa, 
at least not from what I've seen from the, you know, the followers that I see on Twitter. But, I mean, the record-wise, I mean, it's not much better than what Charlie Strong has been doing the past couple of years. And I guess maybe they just have you know, the temp- or expectations, I should say, in South Florida are much, much higher than in Tulsa. I mean, Tulsa, they were celebrating a couple of years ago when they had that 10-win season because that's not the norm down there. No. So maybe, I mean, so I don't know, but I still think at the same time they still want to be a team that's flirting around 500, trending in the right direction like some of the other AAC West teams have. I mean, Tulane, SMU, we talked about them trending up. You know, we haven't really seen that from Tulsa. They've kind of, you know, been even steady, but even steady at the like four win, five win mark. Well, and it's. It's interesting because in college football, as we saw with Willie Taggart at Florida State, it's very much a you better have something figured out by year two because if you don't, year three, you're gone. And Philip Montgomery's now in year five at Tulsa. And the first year he went six and seven, then he wins 10 games, and he follows that up with a two win season. And normally that's. That's enough to either get him fired or begin that conversation. And then the next year he goes three and nine, which is not is one win better than the previous year. So the fact that he didn't get fired almost makes me think that they're willing to give him time. Because if you don't get fired after winning ten games and then winning five the next two seasons, I just I don't see why they would fire him now because it makes no sense to do it, especially now they had that win. So I don't, I feel like they still have to win one or both of the next games for it to seem like things are getting better. If you want to look at it from a win perspective, if he goes four and eight, then he's winning one more game every single year. But I feel like if they haven't fired him by now, it's going to be a little while before He's going to have to either show regression in terms of record for them to fire him at this point. And like we've talked about, when you watch them, you know, they do fight with every team. I, I love the two running backs. You know, watching those two running backs is phenomenal. And then uh, Zach Smith, I mean, I've heard some say he's got an NFL arm. I don't know about all that. I think that's all. He's good. He's the reason why they're in these games. I agree with that, but I'm not ready to say he's an NFL talent for any stretch of the imagination yet. No. But, yeah, the crazy part about this, so I told friends of mine, because I was watching the UCF game, and I said, watch what's going to happen in Tulsa in in this third quarter. UCF has been smoking hot coming out of the second half the past two weeks. Seth Boomer is in, who's been atrocious the past couple of years when he's gotten an opportunity to play. I literally thought UCF was going to blow the doors off like they did the previous two weeks. Mm-hmm. It was literally the total opposite. Yep. I think they scored three points in the, uh, in the third. Actually, what am I saying? They scored three points in the whole second half. Mm-hmm. Leading twenty-eight to seventeen at the half. Tulsa's defense, I mean, they balled out. Six sacks, two interceptions. The the last interception led to the game-winning field goal. I mean, and that's what we've been talking about about Tulsa too. I mean, most of the time, it's been their defense has been keeping them in games, and this was 
definitely one of those games. And then the offense did just enough. Even with a backup quarterback, you know, you got to give credit to, again, those running backs were doing their part to edge out this win that nobody saw coming. Nobody. I mean, we, I don't even think we spent more than five minutes talking about this game last week. No, because we expected UCF to dominate, and it's just further proof that the magical run is officially over, although you could probably make that argument after they lost to Cincinnati and then also Pitt, but it's just this one's over, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, they're done for good. So for all you freaking out that people are saying they're done, they're it's just this run is done. They can start a new one, but this one's over. You can just appreciate what happened, but it it's done. So my argument that I was kind of saying because I was I saw a lot of people saying that they are done, and I didn't like that just because they're nowhere near done. I mean it's three losses, guys. People need to relax. You still look at their schedule. I don't think they're going to lose another game. Maybe we don't know who they're going to play in a bowl game, obviously. But it's not looking like it's going to be a Power 5 team, so they probably go in there and wax whoever team that they're going to play in a bowl game, too. No, but, and they're, I mean, they, the, the program themselves, they're not, they are not done. It's just the run is done. So, just, there's a difference. And I even, like, tweeted out, like, <laughs> I didn't even say this. This is the funny part. I said the run may be over. I didn't even say it was over. It is, but I didn't say that. But I was just pointing out that like UCF did so much for the group of five in terms of opening up opportunities for them to be recognized in the top 25, mostly just AAC. I mean, we saw the first college football playoff rankings. There's four teams from the AAC in the top 25. And none of that happens if... UCF doesn't do what they did and that was my point is that we need to take time to recognize while things are winding down in terms of the success from the previous few years for UCF that they did a bunch of things for these teams like you're looking at Cincinnati and Memphis right now even SMU those teams don't get to where they are without UCF doing what they did and creating that dialogue in terms of this conference needs more respect and deserves the respect that they're due. And if if they don't do if they don't make that run, they don't win twenty five games in a row, I, I don't think we're having this conversation. Uh the twenty five in a row I do think definitely helps the cause. But uh, so what what came to my mind when I first started seeing some of those people tweeting that out was what Boise State has done over the past 20 years. Now, I'm not, not trying to put UCF in that level yet. Maybe they're trending in that way. But, you know, Boise over the past 20 years, their worst season, I believe, is an eight-win eight season. That's their worst season. So if you're UCF, that's where you're hoping to start because it was – if you think about it, Boise State started all of the the G5 talk maybe 10 years ago, but it kind of died down over over the past, let's say, you know, eight years because there really wasn't that power G5 team over that time. I, I can't think of it. I mean other than maybe the, the Houston teams with Greg Ward, 
Uh, maybe I'm forgetting another one, but there wasn't that, that, that team that really people thought could be a contender for a national championship. Then UCF started to go on this run. So maybe they start something similar to what Boise does, where, you, you know, every year you're only losing eight games. I mean, that would be great if you're UCF. And with what we know that they have the facilities and everything around them coming to them, they have all the potential in the world to do that. You know, we've talked a gazillion times about how if expansion happens, you know, they could be one of the first ones to be out the door of the conference. Now, if you want to bring it back to the, the, the conference there, you're exactly right in the fact that I think now it's four teams that are in. Um, I think last week was five, no? Uh, I thought it was four. Was it four last week, too? I thought it, it might have been four. five. Well, I, I thought SMU was in there. Oh, no, maybe SMU and Navy flip-flopped. I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, but no, I do agree with that in the sense that UCF definitely helped this conference. Now, I mean, we've got a bunch of teams in the conference with one loss, too, so it's really hard to keep them out, especially since I think this year there's a lot more parity. A lot of the uh, the Power 5 conferences already have teams with three, four losses, even some of the better ones. So I think that helps, obviously, bump them up. You know, I mean, you even got a, a one-loss App State team that is, I believe they're sitting at 25 right now, and no discredit to them. I mean, they've got wins over uh, North Carolina and South Carolina, who Alabama beat and Georgia lost to, but Alabama's behind Georgia. But, yeah, we don't have to get into all that. <laughs> but uh, Poking the bear. Yeah, we don't have to get into all that. But yeah, to get back to UCF is the run the run of the twenty five and you know winning the conference. Yeah, that's over. But I don't see what's going to stop them moving forward, just because what we've seen on this field now. Heupel is only a is this second or third year? Second, right? Mm, yeah, year two. Yeah, year two. That's what I thought. And he's, he's not working a top with coach. Um, yeah, this year I guess he's proven that he's not top three, but he's still top five. Um, <laughs> now, you, now you, I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Oh, so then they have a true freshman quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. And we don't even know, is Mackenzie Miller going to come back next year? You know, well, then if he's he got, does, if he's is he going to be back to where he was before he got hurt? And that as well. So, you know, and... UCF doesn't – yeah, they're going to lose some guys to the NFL. Gabe Davis definitely out the door. I think a couple of – even if a couple of the running backs left, they've got so many, it's unbelievable there. So they'll be all right at that position too. So I think UCF, you know, yes, the run is over, but they are definitely still going to be a force, I think, for years to come. Yeah, no one's saying that they're not. So if you are starting to argue that that's not what they're saying, it's just that they're uh, they're the run of them being unbeatable and the intimidation factor of playing UCF is is over, and that's not a bad thing. They can start a new run, but it you know it was fun to watch, and I thank UCF for giving me the entertainment and. Uh, you know the the two Memphis games will be two of my favorite games that I've watched. The win over Auburn is great, but 
it's you know it's someone else's time right now and they can compete for a conference championship next year and i hope they do and just a reminder ucf they did hold their own with that current number one lsu team Mm-hmm. and ucf i uh, can't remember the name of the player but oh god was nah, i'm not gonna remember the name but laid the wood on joe burrow kind of woke him up i think that's the hit that turned him into a uh, heisman candidate that, he, that <laughs> joey he is. connor's hit him yeah, that's what it is yes joey connor yes yeah, when he wrecked him in that bowl game, I think that like woke this kid up because he went on to throw four touchdowns that game and is probably the Heisman front runner right now. Yep. So thanks, UCF. You gave us the Heisman Trophy winner for 2019. Yep. All right, Joe. We uh, kind of recapped last week. Uh, I know there's one. There's really only one other game that we really have to dive into, and that is the uh, ECU. SMU game, a 51-59 shootout in Dallas. I know you want to maybe gloat a little bit about your boy, Holton Ehlers. He's gone. I mean, what's he throwing? It's 1,033 yards and 10 touchdowns in the past two games. Yeah, those numbers, I mean, some guys don't do that in three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you play at Navy, you don't do that in two years. Yeah. But I think if so, the concern is on the other side of the ball. If you're SMU, this is a team. It's back-to-back weeks now where they've allowed more than 50 points, and this one was against ECU. All right, ECU has been kind of a doormat in this conference most of the year. They've given up over 500 yards of total offense in four of the last five. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this team as potential to win the conference and still in the discussion. But if you're going to let that happen to ECU, and I'm trying to get to pull up SMU's uh, rest of their schedule right now, but it, you know, if you're letting ECU do that, that's not a good sign for what's upcoming. Yeah, like, it's not looking good. I'm trying to find their schedule. So let's see, they got they've got Navy, who they're going to, you know, who's in the, again in that discussion for the AAC West. They got Tulane, who. I mean, they need miracles to get into that, but they're not mathematically eliminated either. Oh, SMU's only got two more games. I know. Isn't that weird that some team – well, I guess it's week 12, so we only have, what, three more weeks? Yeah, I guess that's also true. Which is just just scary. But, yeah, giving up 644 yards to ECU. Uh, That just kind of blew my mind a little bit. And do you think that has more to say about ECU or SMU? I think it's more to say about SMU. Yeah. I mean, S- SMU, I mean, I feel like a couple weeks ago we were even saying how their defense was playing well, but you can't now. They're back to SMU from a couple years ago. Well, it's back to those Chad Morris days we were just talking about. I mean, honestly, yeah, where they, you know, I'm, but at least, you know, these times they're on the right side of these shootouts as opposed in the past they always seem to be on the wrong side well i think they have a better they have a better offense than those years too like the receivers are comparable you can make the argument that that uh courtland sutton and trey quinn that i mean james Prochet was on that team too but Mm -hmm. those receivers were better but 
Shane Bouchelle is a much better quarterback than Ben Hicks was. Was Roberson on that team at you know as a freshman as well? I don't see. I don't know. Did they have at one point have all four of those guys? Uh, probably because I think is Roberson a junior? I believe he is. Yeah. So, so yeah, they probably did. I mean, Roberson probably wasn't playing, but well, no, I know Prochet was because he had eight hundred that year. I believe Quinn and Sutton both were over a thousand yards, and Prochet had eight hundred yards. Yeah, it's just absurd what they've been able to do with wide receivers down there in Dallas. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, I do want to give uh, a shout-out to uh, ECU wide receiver Tyler Sneed. He had 19 receptions, obviously a career high for him. But it was the most in the FBS this season, and not by a little bit either. Six more than anybody else this year. The highest was 13 before you know Sneed had a 19 in this Jeez. case. Yeah, he caught seven in a row at one point. Yeah, that's uh, – I don't know. It seems like we talked another, about another, – dis- Another school that just seems to pump out receivers, at least decent <laughs> ones. Right? Yeah, seriously. And it's interesting that this ECU team is starting to play well considering we were kind of writing them off halfway through the season because they just weren't showing us anything. No, they, they, like I said, they have been a doormat at some times, and then you have a game like this. I think it's only a matter of time until, because uh, Mike Houston is starting to get that offense. It looks like they're starting to get going a little bit. And Also, before we move on, shout-out to Xavier Jones. He scored three touchdowns this week, third time this season he's done that. But Jeez. he has 20 touchdowns total, which gives him – one more than the legendary Mustang Eric Dickerson in a single season. How does he still have <laughs> – you know, for all, all of the things that the NCAA does, like erasing seasons and removing trophies, and whatnot, how does Eric Dickerson still have any any records at SMU? Don't ask me. Reggie Bushes are all out the door. Right? So, well, just, I mean, I, I don't think that that should be a thing, getting rid of that stuff, because you can't erase that stuff from people's memory. No. But. And you, I, I think you can't punish, you know, if one, two, three, eight, hell, ten guys screw up, you can't punish all 100, or, you know, it's, that's about, I mean, just, if you think about just players, there's 100, then if you add the staff and coach, you know, you're talking about 120 people, you punish them all. I think that's so stupid. I've never right. understood that. Right, it's like, well, why, why are you, why are you suspending a kid that didn't do anything wrong and is trying to play for the school? And you're like, it just, they're just making up stuff as they go. NCAA is just ridiculous. Now they're suspending kids for taking loans for their girlfriends to come see football games. NCAA is a joke. Bothering James Wiseman. Let, let's. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's look ahead to week twelve, like you said. Good God, week 12. twelve. I can't believe we are at that stage already this season. Mm-hmm. Also, surprised another week when we only have four games. Yeah, what, I feel like that has never happened before. No, I feel like last year we always had, every, you know, we've had the full slate six six on you know six teams in the conference every team. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on this season. A lot of late bye weeks this year. But it gets started with the Battle of TUs. 
who also have the same record, should I add. That is Tulane at 6-3, and three, taking on Temple. That game is at noon on ESPNU. Temple is 3-0 and oh since the uh, formation of the American, and they have won 90-13 in those three meetings. Wow. Yeah, they have beat them down. Now, another thing that I thought was pretty cool is, I, I didn't know this whatsoever, so Tulane versus Temple was actually the very first ever Sugar Bowl in 1935. So this week, since they're playing against each other, the Owls are wearing uh, commemorative jerseys from the 1935 season, which I think is pretty kind of, pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Even though they're Under Armour jerseys, so... It's not like they're rocking those 1935 jerseys. Yeah, it's not the same. Now, I also did this research. Temple is still alive in the AAC East thanks to UCF. They need to win out. They need since you know, the obvious that would mean they would beat Cincinnati. And they would also need Cincinnati to lose this week at USF. Not happening. Or the last week of the regular season against Memphis, which could definitely happen. So Temp and I don't know what the thing is, but I did the research and it says that Temple would win whatever tiebreaker and they would be the representative. Mm. No so thanks. all they got to do is win out. That's and, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I was surprised to see that too. I mean, when you look at it just because UCF lost, it makes sense. We did not see that coming when we had this discussion last week. But they are still in the mix. And Tulane is a five-point favorite in this game. A road favorite. Temple has thrived in this role. They've already knocked off Maryland and Memphis this year when they were a home underdog. I don't have the numbers in front of me right this second, but like they're like a ridiculous... Now, nah, I don't want to screw the number up, but against the spread, they're something like 19-5 and five or something absurd like that when they're a home underdog like that. Jeez. So, yeah, it's and a lot of outright wins there as well. So I don't understand what Vegas is thinking here, but if you're a betting man, those Temple Owls are looking pretty good this week. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very surprised to see... Tulane be a five-point favorite. I mean, Temple's not scoring a ton of points lately, but that number shocked me. Yeah, it's... uh, That'll be interesting. It's two teams that are kind of just, like, forgotten. Two teams that both technically can win their divisions, but they obviously need some help. And Tulane's... uh, That hype train has died for the second year in a row. Yes, it did. They got... Good start, bad finishes, looking like. Mm-hmm. But they can't complain. I mean, to be six and three at this point, you cannot complain if you're in New Orleans right now. No, exactly. All right, next up on the list is a battle of ranked teams. I don't think either one of us. Well, we could have said this about maybe one team, but not the other when we started this season. That is number twenty-three Navy, the team. That, it still blows my mind that they're ranked because I'm still, I still have the envision of them being a two-three win team in my head, but obviously that's not happening. <laughs> they're seven and one, 
and they are on the road to take on number 16, Notre Dame, who is 7-2. That game's at 2.30. You can see it on NBC. This is the first ranked meeting between the two teams since 1978. And what I didn't know is, for other than the uh, the obvious, but Navy and Notre Dame is one of the longest-running um, – uh, what was the word that I saw that they used earlier? Non-conference games in the nation. They've been playing each other every year since 1927. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Now I've got some more numbers. Navy is 15th in the country in scoring defense. Never thought I would say that. Offense, you expect them to be up there in rushing, but I never thought I would say Navy is 15th in scoring defense, 17th in total defense. Joe, is this because they keep guys off the field? Or are they actually playing good defense? <laughs> it's definitely more they're keeping guys off the field. Think about think about how tough it is doing anything, honestly. Like you do something and then you have to take a long break from it and you have to keep that same focus for a long period of time while not doing anything and then having to come back on the field sometimes 10 minutes later it's just it's very difficult to do and navy's offense is what we've saw two years ago and last year obviously was a little bit of a a setback to say the least and honestly i feel like we're still not giving them enough love it just feels like and even this week won't do anything for us because it's against notre dame so it really doesn't count but it's it's weird because it Navy is one loss, and we're not really considering them in the West Division. No, I don't think we've talked. We have not really talked about them being in that conference championship game. We've talked about SMU. We've talked about Memphis. We even talked about Tulane. But no, we have not brought Navy up whatsoever. And... I'm a little bit surprised that this line is at seven in South Bend. I think that I think that's credit to Navy. Credit to Malcolm Perry. There you go, Malcolm Perry, because this is a one man one man team. It seems like there now maybe this has something to do with that number. So like I said, Navy is a seven point favorite at home, but or excuse me, Notre Dame is a seven point favorite at home. Um, Navy is 10 and 2 against the spread in their last 12 meetings and 5 and 1 against the spread in their last 6 games at Notre Dame. So maybe that has something to do with that low number. That yeah. seems off. That seems awfully low to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's yeah, it does. But that's just again another yeah. Yeah, just to, we can go on and on about about this team and how different they are this year. Yep. And we both didn't see a cone. Nope. Definitely not this. And neither did when we had, uh, oh, I've, now I'm blanking on his name. Who do we have on? For uh, the Austin. Austin, yeah, that's right. Even when we brought Austin out, like he, it didn't seem like he was thinking that this team was going to be an elite team at this point in the season. So it's not like... Even the people around the program, there weren't many that were thinking, "Yeah, this is the this is the year." I'm still not buying into that. This is the year. I don't know. 
Call me crazy. <laughs> they could probably win 11 games, and we'd be like, yeah, this is still not the year. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess at that point. If they won 11 games, they're a conference champion probably, so we're going to have to. Well, if they if they win out, though, they wouldn't be because they lost to Memphis, so they wouldn't have the tiebreaker. They're not winning this week. No. That's not going to happen. If that way, if, you know, if they manage to pull off an upset, it's because of what you said earlier, where they're keeping Notre Dame off the field at 10 minutes at a time. And the key part is scoring touchdowns on all those drives. Mm-hmm. That's how they got the upset a couple of years ago. I think they won 28-27, and that's because they literally kept Notre Dame off the field most of the game. All right, let's move on to a game that, heading into this season, we probably thought was going to be the game that decided the AAC West. That is number 18, Memphis, at 8-1, and one, taking on a Houston team who is now 3-6. and six. It's been a rough ride for Dana Holgerson this season. If you want to watch, it's 3.30 on ESPN2. Um, Houston coming off a bye. They've lost three or four. But in the home games against SMU and Cincinnati, they you know they have been kind of respectable. So can they hold their own against Memphis this week? <sighs> mm, I'm not going to doubt Houston right now because there's really there's not really an identity for this team given the amount of fluctuation there is at every position for the most part, and there's not much consistency at really any position beside outside of like Marquez Stevenson, Josh Jones, and Demarion Williams. So it feels like Memphis is going to win this one easily. But if you recall two years ago when Memphis was on the fast track to the conference championship game, they came to Houston on a Thursday night and it was, it was a shootout and I believe the final score was like Memphis won 42-41, something like that. So I don't ever doubt. This is a kind of a rivalry game that I didn't realize. And both teams don't really love each other. They just they just play with an intensity in this game that you wouldn't really expect. So I'm not really going to be surprised if this game's closer. But at the same time, I've watched Houston play all year. I know that they've been making improvements, but at the same time, there is a significant talent gap between these two teams. And most of Houston's best talent is unfortunately on the practice squad right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With all those guys red shirting, there is a ton of talent on that practice squad right now, which is absurd. I don't know. I think, these are two teams that I believe Memphis is coming off a bye as well, I believe, right? Yes. So two teams coming off a bye, you know, lets those bumps and bruises kind of heal a little bit. So I think we'll get the best maybe from these two teams. But Memphis is a 10-point favorite, which doesn't shock me. Because that's honestly where I can kind of see this game ending up at. And I can see this ending up as a 34-24 game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Memphis is going to get theirs. I mean, they've got too much firepower with Gainwell and Gibson. Now Gibson just came out of nowhere with that monster game a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So 
We shall see that. Like I said, that game is 3:30 on ESPN2. The last game of the week, seven o'clock start on CBS Sports Network. It is number 17 Cincinnati, who is a 14-point favorite on the road against USF, who is at four and five. Fun little note here because I'm full of little nuggets tonight. This is the 17th consecutive year that these two teams have met they were in the conference usa together then they moved to the big east together then they moved to the american together so they have been playing against each other now first well this will be the 17th meeting and uc has a 9-7 edge cincinnati everything i said about temple earlier temple loses and cincinnati wins this week they won the east it's over yep I mean, basically, they could take. Uh, um, I'm not sure now if Cincinnati's one of those teams that has two games ago or one game ago at this point. I don't know how that's working out, but they have. I mean, they could basically take the next couple of weeks off if they win. If if they win and Temple loses this week, and they're going to win this week, I fully expect them to do exactly what Temple did to USF last week: live in the backfield, make Jordan McLeod. You know, run for his life the entire game. I mean, Temple racked up nine sacks last week, and Cincinnati's certainly capable of doing that. Cincinnati is a turnover machine. I, I'm not sure what the exact numbers are in terms of the nation, but I know they are well up there. So, yeah, Cincinnati, 14 points. That might be too low for just what we've seen from USF this year. USF can't score. Their offensive line is atrocious. They're not doing a whole lot on defense either. And Cincinnati, like I said, they've got something to play for, especially if they know that Temple lost earlier in the day. I think especially if Temple lost earlier in the day, Cincinnati is going to come out and crush USF. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't argue against you if that's what you're thinking. No, I know you're not arguing against me. USF, I mean, USF, I'm surprised they have four wins from what I have. I'm not watching every game. From what I watched last week and the little bits that I've seen otherwise, they just don't look like they have any fight in them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The offensive line is god-awful. I mean, that's that's why, you know, Blake Barnett's out for the season. You know, credit that offensive line for that. And then, like I said, McLeod is just, just constantly getting hit. I mean, Temple lived in the backfield last week. And the crazy part is Temple, what they did to them last week, you know, Cronkright came off a game where he had uh, over 200 yards against ECU. This past week he had 60, if that. I don't even know if he had that many. And Cincinnati's defense is very comparable to Temple's, I would say. Actually, I would say right now maybe Cincinnati's is a little bit better. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, USF, they're in for it. This is going to be back-to-back weeks where, I mean, last week was only a uh, 10-point loss. I could see this one easily being 20. And Cincinnati, I mean, they're right now they are the top-ranked G5 team, so style points might matter because they've got some other G5 teams nipping at their heels too. Mm-hmm. And they're all fighting for that final New Year's 6 spot. All right, Joe. We got through it. Anything else you want to say before we wrap this one up? 
Oh, man. I Get do. To the, oh, geez, what you got? Alabama should be number four in the playoff. Wait, what? Whoa, what? No. Go away. You are, you're insane. I will never thought I'd be the person to defend Alabama, but they should be in. Because they lost to a good team? They haven't beaten anybody. Neither has Clemson. Now you're given the same argument that was used against UCF last year. What is wrong with you? Well, so, so uh, why well, didn't say Clemson should be in? Why not Minnesota? They have a win against the top four team. And then we I'll, appear, we I'll all let just... you. I, I was waiting for you to counter with that, so go ahead. Well, so here's the thing. It, it, honestly, these rankings really don't matter in the long run, but if we're going to do them, might as well talk about them. So you have a team in Alabama that hasn't beaten anybody. Their best win is what, against a 6-3 and three Texas A&M team, which is fine. That's a solid win, but it's not a great win. That's Clemson's best win. Right, so there's there's that. Those are those two wins. I don't necessarily care about Clemson as much because they're undefeated still, but Alabama has a loss. So you're going to say, oh, well, it was a good loss. So now we're rewarding losing over winning? Like, what kind of culture is that? You know, we have this, it's the participation trophy culture. Oh, well, they played a good team and they lost, so we're going to keep them in the, at fifth. Because at, at this point, you throw in Georgia, too. They have two wins against top 10 teams. That's fine. They also have a loss against a team with a losing record. We're just going to ignore that. App State. Yeah. We're going to just ignore that because it's convenient. No, that's not. Like, what? what's the point of that? And right now, if you look at Alabama and Georgia and Minnesota, so one of the two teams between Alabama and Georgia, if they win out, one of them wins the conference, obviously the other one loses. So whichever team that is, both of them play Auburn, and then they would most likely play each other if they win out. So they would have two ranked wins on their schedule and say Minnesota win, wins out from there too. They play Iowa this week. They who is ranked. They That's play a bold North. statement to say Minnesota wins out. Well, so just this is just a hypothetical scenario, but if so they beat number 20 Iowa and then they play two weeks later to end the season they play a ranked Wisconsin team assuming that Wisconsin is still ranked, and they beat them, and then they play Ohio State, which in this hypothetical situation, if they win out, they beat Ohio State. So you're telling me that as of right now, if those those teams win out, Minnesota will be left out with an undefeated record over Ohio. a team with a one? Ohio State would be out, and I believe Minnesota would be in. with the two. There's, I have a feeling that... The, but they're eighth Somehow, right now. Two, two, two SEC teams are going to get in again. Like and they're setting it up for that. Here's the thing, though. It might be a great thing is if if Minnesota goes undefeated and Alabama slash Georgia gets left out because now people are going to be like, we need to expand the playoff. And that's like the only thing that you I'm looking that, forward to. You know if Alabama gets left out, that discussion is definitely happening. Just to, uh, here's the thing: is like explain to me if you're looking at the resumes, you're looking at Alabama's resume. They haven't beaten anybody, and Minnesota just beat a number four team in the country. One is clearly better than the other, and the other team doesn't have a loss. I don't care if you're who you're playing. If you won't win the games, you don't deserve to be there. And Georgia lost to a four and six team. It just doesn't make any sense. 
We can go back to UCF. What two years in a row? No losses heading into it. Right. It's just it, it doesn't. At make least any Minnesota sense. is in the top ten. I don't think we even got UCF ever in the top ten. Yeah. It just it's like it's just they use whatever is convenient to keep their the certain teams in so that there's intrigue. I guarantee you, it doesn't matter if Alabama is eighth or fifth. Like people are going to still watch, and it's not like Alabama needs any help getting into the playoff anyways. No, but my argument, part of it is, you're, are you really going to, and I understand what your argument is, that Minnesota has no losses, and I agree with that. I think if you have no loss, that you know, you should just shoot to the top. I, I'm Personally, that's what I think it should go, but it doesn't. So, for me, I don't. when I see the teams, Alabama is still one of the top four best teams in the country. But based off of what? Because you've watched them? If you're going to be, like, the thing is, if you're going to be subjective, then it just becomes an opinion. And that's not the point. Like, you need, to, opinion, you need to be objective. That's what got Alabama in a couple of years ago when they were almost in this exact same scenario. I know. And it's still, it's just, it's dumb. I know. I understand. I, we're, I think eventually, you know, I, we're talking about it right now, but I think in the long run, it's not even going to matter because LSU. At this point, Alabama needs LSU to beat Georgia in that championship game to knock – basically, that would knock Georgia out and it would be able to slide Alabama in. But then there are all those what-ifs if Minnesota wins out. Um, I, I, me, personally, I, I, I want to see in a championship game, I want to see LSU versus Ohio State. Right now, I, I think I, I don't want to. I don't want to – I mean, for me – you can throw those other two teams out. I'm not ready for what would be part four now. Give me yeah. LS, give me LSU, Joe Burrow going back against Ohio State. And I don't I've, think Ryan Day gets enough credit for what he's doing at Ohio State for a first year coach. By the no, way, no, definitely not, definitely not. Well, I think one thing we can agree on is that it's still stupid that the committee comes out with rankings in Week Ten. Your yeah. your little your only job is literally to pick the playoff teams. Your job is not to pick the top twenty five. Your job is not to tell us who's a better team at week ten, week eleven, week twelve. Your team is your objective is literally to pick the playoff teams. So stop. I get why they do it. It's the same reason why we use preseason polls, which oh, funny enough, are influencing our polls in week ten. Why? I have no idea. Last year has nothing to do with this year, but yet we still allow it to influence our decisions and we're having a committee of people that are supposed to be using this year's results to pick playoff teams oh but we're ranking 25 teams that we don't really all want do you think the committee really watches navy no nobody on that committee is watching navy no, I, I don't know exactly what's the number of people that are on the committee uh well, there's not a single one paying attention 10. to navy yeah I'm, I'm guessing the number something around 10 but yeah none of them are watching navy at least so I, what i think of these these rankings Believe we went down this rabbit hole, but what I think of these rankings is literally ESPN wanted their own rankings. They didn't want to follow the AP poll and they didn't want to follow the coaches' poll, so they came up with this this college football playoff rankings. And I think that's why we're here because we pay attention to the AP polls and the coaches' poll up until this part comes out now. Those mm-hmm. are now all thrown out. Nobody cares. Yeah, imagine voting for the AP poll. You're so irrelevant right now. Yeah. 
and I used, you know, and I can understand because they people. I watched a little bit of the uh, what was what was that called last night? The American Game, I believe that's what it was called on ESPN last night, mm-hmm. and they were actually talking a little bit about this, how it originally started with the AP poll. And then the coach's poll came in a couple of years later. And then you know, now in 2019, we're basically talking about an ESPN poll that a com- random committee comes up with to make the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. And it is an ESPN poll just because ESPN literally, they own, they don't just own the college football playoff. They own every bowl game for the, for the most part, too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's wrap it up here. I hear you typing away over there. What are you mad about? Something? I'm pissed. Ah. You you made me you made me mad. So sorry, Gopher fans. You've got time to to keep creeping up the the leaderboard there. That's fine. Minnesota's better as an underdog, anyways. I wouldn't want them to be fourth right now, anyways. That's why I made that comment earlier about Temple too. As an underdog, I love them. All right, on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Underdog Podcast. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Twitter. Please leave us a review on however you're listening to us, whether it be through the site, through your favorite podcast app, or however else you listen to this fun stuff. We're not the only podcast here at Underdog Dynasty 2, by the way. We've got the boys that do a Conference USA and also got a Sunbelt podcast finally up and running. I think they've been doing it for a couple weeks now, which is great just because yeah, our Sunbelt coverage is starting to beef up a little bit, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. But on that note, thanks for listening to this episode of Joe Talk. And yeah, I messed up our uh, our outro there. That's all right. People will come back. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to our Joe Talk.